Well, good morning. morning. And happy Mother's Day. I was kind of worried they, uh, when every time they put a microphone on me like this and you have to sit uh, down here before you speak, they always say, we'll have it turned off, you know, and, until you get up there. I'm so worried I'll get to sing the song real, oh, in my own. And then I realized the room hadn't cleared, so we're all good to go. But uh, I do appreciate you letting me be here, and, and, and I know that you all are, are one of our host churches, and it takes a special church and some special people to be one of our host churches, and I thank you so much for it. We've got some wonderful kids, and uh, it's tough to talk about it sometimes. And so I just want you to know that this morning they're going to be worshiping at another location uh, because I do love them. And uh, Jimmy, thank you so much for your kind words. They're not deserved, I'll tell you. But I appreciate you and your church. Chris Gould, I was in his youth group, uh, 16 years old. Half of that gray hair is my responsibility. The other half is my best friend, Harold McCoy. <laughs> Matter of fact, about 10 years ago, uh, Chris came to my deacon orient, uh, ordination service. And our church had gone through a lot of transition and, and all, and so we were kind of building numbers back up, things like that. And Chris came and he said, man, I knew things were bad, but I didn't know they were this bad. <laughs> but I love Chris and Bonnie so much. You know, I, at 16-year-olds, there's, there's a lot of things that can go on in your life at that time. There's a lot of things you don't, you just don't feel good to, to talk with your parents sometimes, and you just want to talk to somebody else. And Chris and Bonnie were always there. Their door was always open, any time of the day, any time of the night. And uh, I don't know if I've ever told you, but I do love you a lot. And I, I, I'd hate to think of where I might be had it not been for, for Chris and Bonnie. But I do appreciate this opportunity this morning to be with you. Uh, my life has kind of come, excuse me, I might be a little too loud there. My, my life has come really full circle since I've come to Children's Home. Um, how many of y'all have heard of Hateful Georgia? All right, been there? And you know, that's where the Children's Home was back in the, well, for, for years. Uh, but when I was growing up in Hateful in the 60s, I could see that every day going back and forth to school and all. And I can remember in Hateful one time the uh, H fell off the high school. So it was Apeville for about three days. And it got a lot of publicity because that was during those Planet of the Ape movies and all that, you know. But on more than one occasion, like a lot of kids growing up in College Park, East Point, Hateful, I can remember my mom saying, boy, if you don't straighten yourself up, I'm going to put you in that children's home. <laughs> Had I known then what I know now, I would have said, Mama, pat my bag because I'm ready to go. We've got some wonderful staff there. It, there's a lot of love there. There's a lot of safety there. And that's what our children need. We have some wonderful children. I appreciate what you do for them. You know, the children's home began back in 1872. And at that time, they were serving uh, orphans that were left after the Civil War. Today, we're still serving orphans. A lot of people will say, well, how many orphans y'all got out there? And you know, we do have some that are true orphans. But if you ask me, they're all orphans because as far as a mom and daddy, about the only thing most of them have is just that signature on a piece of paper. And that's all it is. You know, I, I, uh, I wish I could tell you that there was no reason for us to have children's homes or places like that, but it, we do. We have to have them, and it's not changing. Um, I can stand right here today only because I know that I have a Heavenly Father 
who loves me, forgives me, watches over me every day. I was very fortunate growing up that I had a loving mother and father, earthly mother and daddy, who watched after me, took care of me, and taught me the right things to do in life, and took me to church, and told me about Jesus. But for many children growing up, that's just not part of their world. Uh, their world is full of hate, abuse, neglect, uncertainty. I, I want to share just a few statistics with you right quick. At this, at this time, there are over 15,000 children that are in the legal custody of our state. Last year, over 82,000 children were victims of abuse, neglect, or abandonment. Nationally, one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before age 18. And the statistics show that there are roughly 39 million survivors in our nation. Every 15 minutes, a child in our nation becomes a victim of a confirmed abuse. 46% of these are children under the age of six. Last year, 99 children died in our nation from abuse, from a parent or someone they knew and they trusted. Georgia ranks number 45 in national deaths linked to abuse. You know, unfortunately, our society has changed and it continues to change for the worse. And through your prayers, your support of our ministry, we've been able to develop programs to meet these new changes that our children come to, these issues that they come to us with. It's a wide, a wide range of programs statewide. I know you're very familiar with the Palmetto campus, but I'm going to go through and, and tell you a little bit about the other ministries that you might not be aware of. We have three residential campuses. One is located right here in Palmetto, Georgia. How many of y'all been out there? Yeah, thank you. We have one in Meansville, Georgia. Now, we refer to that as the Pine Mountain Campus because we don't want people thinking we got kids in Meansville. And uh, then we have, in Baxley, Georgia, we have uh, our largest uh, campus there. And they're residential campuses. As you know, they, they look kind of like a, a college campus. Uh, a lot of things going on. I think the, the most unique thing about our cottages and the way they're designed, you've got eight or ten girls or boys. They come from different backgrounds. They've got so many different issues. But you have a couple who have dedicated their lives, and they're sometimes there with their own biological children. And they're trying to raise these children. And for our kids, most of them come from backgrounds where if there's an issue, and you know there's going to be one every day in a cottage of some type, but if there's an issue in their home, they probably saw the, the problem was solved by either some type of violence, foul language, just all kinds of fits. By seeing how our couples deal with issues every day shows them how you should raise your family, how you should have a Christian home. Um, how many of you are parents? Parents of teenagers. Well, my, my son is now a junior in college, and my daughter will be a freshman next year. And uh, I, I was down at the cottage one night, and they had dinner. And so after dinner, one of the boys started picking up plates. The other one went into the kitchen, and they started washing them with uh, their cottage mom. And I just kind of eavesdropped a little bit. And he told her everything that went on that day from the time he left on the bus to go to school to the time he got home. I thought that was amazing. How many of you parents said to your kids, well, out of school today, it's all right. 
What'd you do? Nothing. You know, our kids do that because they know we're always going to be there. We've always been there, and we've always been there to listen. But our kids don't. They've never had that. They've never, what attention may have been paid to them probably was the wrong type of attention. And so that's why it's so important, these, these uh, the uh, campus locations. And two, that the, the, they see, I'm not the only one that's in this situation. We also have two emergency shelters uh, located in Thomaston and then one in Douglas, Georgia. The one in Thomaston is the only facility where we have infants. Uh, we're licensed for infants. Uh, these kids come to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in the middle of the night. A lot of the time, they come with just the clothes on their back. And there's no telling what they've seen before they got to us. They may have witnessed a family member being murdered. The, the police may have stormed a crack house. They may have been physically abused themselves. So, and then they're being brought to you by a defects worker or sheriff's department. Can you imagine being six, seven years old and having all that happen to you in the course of about an hour? But when they get there, there's usually a stuffed animal on that bed. Sometimes that could be their only friend, they think, for a few days until they get adjusted. I remember there was a lady who brought some cakes by. She'd made all these cakes. I think it was four or five cakes. And she brought them by my office. She said, can you take these down to the campus? And I said, yeah, I'd be glad to. So I went around and made a few of my drops. And then I got by the emergency shelter that was located on the Palmetto campus at that time. And these two little girls were out front, and they were playing, having a great time, riding bicycles, just cutting up. Well, I got out of the car with this cake, and I thought they were just going to ambush me. I mean, they, they said, cake, you know, and they started running, you know. And so I made it to the house, and they were just, all, you know, I was just cutting up with them and all. And so I, I asked the lady on duty, I said, uh, boy, they're pretty excited about that. And I, I was just curious. I said, about how long have they been with us? She said, two hours. And I'm thinking, if they're that happy and that adjusted, and that excited, within two hours, there's no telling what they came to us from, how horrific it could have been. We have five community group homes uh, located in Brooks, Carrollton, Elijay, Noonan, and Demarest. Uh, these homes uh, care up to for 10 children. The great thing about it is they're located in communities, and so when the children are, are taken out of the home, they're not having to be taken out of the other environments that they're used to. Usually they stay in the same school, and they're right there in the same county. And then, of course, they go to host churches within that county. And so it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. The other thing is that the community actually takes care of the physical building there. We take care of what we do best, and that's the ministry part of it. Um, the, the one in uh, the Noonan facility, I don't know if you know about it, but it, it was started because on Christmas Eve about seven years ago, there were children sleeping on the floor of the DFACS office with their social workers because there was nowhere else for them to go. And Coweta County did not have a shelter. So a group got together and made it happen. There are wonderful facilities. We have a maternity home for pregnant teens located on our Palmetto campus. You know, some of these girls just made bad choices. Some of them can't help the situation that they're in. I'll tell you today, I'll probably make three or four bad choices before the day's over. But you know, they come to us. Sometimes they have family, sometimes they have absolutely no family support. And while they're there, they learn how to take care of that baby. They've made that commitment. They continue their education. They learn how to shop. They learn how to cook for each other. We give them those life skills, how to fill out a job application, so that when that child comes, then they know that they've got to go out and, and make the best of it. 
and we work with them. I think it's a wonderful program. I never will forget, I was at my desk, and I got a phone call, and this gentleman on the other end was basically hollering at me. He said, I'm out here in Dallas, Texas. I'm so-and-so, and uh, I'm originally from Atlanta. My daughter just showed up here on my doorstep. She's pregnant. I don't want her. You want her? That was his exact words to me. Do you want her? And I said, uh, sir, I mean, are there any family members that have custody in, in the state of Georgia? Yeah, her mama's somewhere around there. I said, well, let me call you back. I got his number. And within an hour, we'd made the arrangement that we needed to get that girl back to us. I can't imagine being a father and doing that. We have a residential drug and alcohol treatment center up in Marietta, Georgia. It's the Nelson Price Treatment Center. Uh, it's usually a 9 to 12 month uh, residential program for teens uh, struggling with addiction, alcohol, and drugs. Uh, 12-step Christian program. What's so great about that is they're able to continue their education while they're there. It started out as an outpatient program, but if you know anything about rehabilitation with drugs and alcohol, if you go there during the day, everything's great, but when you come back home, that's kind of where the source is, wherever you're getting your drugs, whatever. It just doesn't work. So it's a wonderful program where they're able to stay. We, we can have up to 24 in this facility, 12 boys and 12 girls. I heard a mom one time at a graduation service. She had tears in her eyes, and she said, I just want to thank you all for giving me back my son. She said, I remember when uh, he had been there three months, and he had earned an overnight stay home. And so she said, I picked him up. We went home. The minute we got in the house, he went to his room, and he shut the door. And she said, well, what we've done so far is just wasted. I know he's, going, he's in there doing drugs probably, or he's, he's working out a way to do it. She said a couple of minutes went by, and he came out of his room, and he was holding about five or six Ziploc bags, and they were just full of drugs, all kinds. And he had tears in his eyes, and he said, Mama, I don't need these anymore. I got Jesus Christ. And that's the difference in our program. That kid had cut a hole in the wall, under his bed, and that's where he'd been stashing all of his stuff. He was so bad that he had used a big pen to puncture a Freon line in an air conditioner just to get high. That's how bad it was. But he went through our program, and his mom was, she said, thank you for giving me back my son. We have Camp Hawkins. It's our summer camp program for children with developmental disabilities, uh, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome. Uh, this is a great camp. How many of y'all been to summer camp? Yeah. Well, you know, all that stuff you do at summer camp, that's what these kids do. Now, some of them are in wheelchairs and all types of issues, you know, but they have the best time. If they're a new camper, when they come there, they cry like babies, even though they might be teenagers. They just cry because it's the first time they've been away from mom and daddy. Mom and daddy are standing there crying because it's the first time they've left them. And mom and daddy look pretty worn out when they come there to drop them off. But after a few days when they've been at camp and it's time for everybody to go home, the kids are still crying because they've had such a great time you know, being with everybody and seeing that there are other kids just like them that they don't want to leave. And mom and daddy come back and you hardly recognize them because they've, they've just had time for themselves. And you can tell that they're rested. It's a wonderful program. We do it for five weeks up at our facility in Mount Airy, Georgia. I know some of you probably have volunteered in there. I'm looking out and I can, I can tell you I can see some faces that I know that have and appreciate what you do with that program. We have Good Shepherd Therapeutic Center. It's one of our most recent facilities. It was given to us back in, uh, in 07. It's down in Warm Springs, Georgia. It's a boys' uh, residential farm-based program uh, for boys that have some, some higher issues to deal with, mostly behavioral issues. And then we have an outpatient program, therapeutic program, 
for folks who have been wheelchair-bound or need some type of a therapy. It's a great program. It's in Warm Springs. And um, one day I was out there. We, we've done some renovations to the facility. And I had a mission group out there. And um, so I saw a horse and a, and a rider on it and two people that were on either side. And they were just walking him up the road there. And so I stopped. I was in my car, and I just stopped, and I turned off the car because I didn't want to scare the horse. And uh, the young man rode up, and he said, hey, my name's Chris. I said, hey, my name's Chris, too. And he said, hey, my name's Chris. I said, hey, my name's Chris, too. Well, he did that again. He said, hey, my name's Chris. I said, okay, my name's Chris, too. And the girl, <laughs> the girl that was, was helping him with the horse, she said, he's got a short-term memory problem. I said, yeah, I understand. You know? And she said, but let him tell you his story because he, he tells it every day. Somehow, someway, this young man was hit by a train on a riding lawnmower. I don't know how that happens. And I saw him on this horse, and here he is, you know, he's on the horse. The great thing about the therapy with the horses, if you've been told you'll never walk again, or you cannot walk, at least you can be on a horse, and that horse, that therapy can massage those hip muscles that you need to strengthen up. And I had heard stories. There's been six people that have been told, you will never walk again, that are walking because they had done the therapy at Good Shepherd for many years before we even got there. So I went on about what I was doing. I went and checked on another youth group that was up on the hill, came back around, went into another building, and just happened to look out the window. And I saw that young man walking from that horse to his car. In my mind, you get hit by a train, you'll never walk again. But I mean, that's the miracles that God's performing down there. I could not believe it. could not believe it. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. In 2008, you've helped us provide hope and healing and the foundation of Jesus Christ to 668 children in our care. But the great thing about that is that 57 of our children made professions of faith during that time. You know, when I go out and I speak to folks, there's always three questions that they ask me. Where do your children come from? Where does your funding come from? And how can I help? Well, our kids come to us from a lot of different backgrounds. Uh, they come to us sometimes church referral. Uh, maybe it's an individual. Maybe it's another organization. Uh, sometimes it, it's a parent, a grandparent. Uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but right now there's an epidemic in our country. There are a lot of grandparents raising grandchildren. They can't physically do it, they can't emotionally do it, they can't financially do it, and they turn to us. Especially times like now and financial difficulties, there's a lot of stress in the family. Some families tear apart for whatever reason, and their children will come to us until things can get, can get worked out. And of course, we have children who come to us from the Department of Family and Children's Services also. Our children usually range in the age between six and 18 years old. Where does our funding come from? Well, we are a sister agency of the Georgia Baptist Convention. But we are fairly unique in that we are not part of the cooperative program. A lot of people was what? It all happened back during the Depression. The cooperative program was very early in its stages. Churches were having a tough enough time trying to keep their doors open, much less support the children's home. So it was just a mutual agreement that we could come out of the cooperative program, and as a children's home, we would probably survive. And we've done it ever since. Um, I can tell you that most of our funding comes from churches, individuals, foundations. As a matter of fact, 32% of 
of our funding comes from churches and individuals just like you all. And, you know, we have a list of top 100 churches. That's amazing, of, of churches that give to us. You guys are in the top 10. And when you look at the other churches, these mega churches, that's amazing. That's amazing. It says so much about where your heart is with our ministry. How can I help? Well, there are tons of ways. First and foremost, pray for our, our staff, our children, our campus, for the churches that support us. Um, we couldn't do it without prayer. Nothing's possible without prayer. You can get involved. You've done that today. You invited me here, and I greatly appreciate it. I know you get involved in, in truckloads. I know that you've done mission trips with us. Some of you may have uh, come out to uh, the campus and, and worked in our school and tried to help a child learn to read. Um, come out to some of our special events. How many have been out to any of our special events on the Palmetto campus? We have car shows. We have a doll show. If you hadn't come to that doll show, you're just missing out, guys. I'm telling you. It's something else. But the thing is, is we, we, we've got things going on that these people that come, and that's their hobby, they may have never, ever come to the children's home. But I've never met anybody who came there and said, man, this is, this is a wonderful place, that this is not great. This is a wonderful place, you know. And, of course, you can lend your financial support, and you all do. Um, I never will forget one day I got a, a little letter and a check for $5 from a lady. And it said, please accept this check for $5. I know it's not much, but it's all I can give at this time. If I live to see next Tuesday, I'll be 97 years old. And I kept that little note in my pocket. And when I would speak, I would keep it. But unfortunately, I sweat sometimes, and that ink got all blurry. So now it's in my desk. <laughs> but I use it as a reminder to me that it doesn't matter how small a gift that you have. God can use it. It doesn't matter how small of a talent you think you may have. God will use it. You remember in uh, the Gospel of John, after the multitudes had been fed, Jesus asked the disciples to gather up baskets. Each of them have a basket. And he told them to go around and gather up all the fragments that were lost, all the crumbs and, and all. One to show that from such and so small came so much, but yet there was still so much to be used. And I think that's the way he feels about any gift that we have to give. You know, sometimes you think, and, I, and you probably think this about your own life, you know, as a ministry, are we making a difference? I ask myself that a lot of times, am I making a difference? And I'll just share a few stories real quick. You know, I'll never forget going to my first, actually it was my first day at the children's home. I attended a trustees meeting down at Baxley. The girl who spoke there was a former resident. She's an adult now, she's a wonderful lady, but she was crying tears in her eyes as she shared how before she came to the children's home, she slept with a butcher knife under a pillow because she was afraid that her stepfather was gonna come in and bother her during the night. I'll never forget the smiles of this little girl. We took a group of kids to Lens Crafters. They donated glasses for us. One of the little girls had never worn glasses, and she needed glasses. And I'll never forget, she was walking around, and those of you that wear glasses, when you get a new pair of glasses, you know, it feels like the floor is about a foot higher than it really should be. And you're walking around like this, and she was just, it was like she saw the world for the first time. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget one of the young ladies that's in the maternity program. I was at my office one night. We have a prayer garden. And there's a little sculpture there, a little statue, and it's got two little kids playing in a tree. 
I saw her out there at it, so I just walked out just to say hi. And uh, I noticed then that she was, she was due pretty soon, and I asked her how, you know, how she was doing and everything. And we talked for a minute, and she turned and looked right at me, just out of the blue, and she said, you know, Miss Chris, I, I lost my childhood, and I ain't getting it back. And it really caught me off guard, and I said, well, hon, you did, but you now have a childhood to give back. And you can be a good mom, you know. But I'll, I'll just never forget that. And then I remember a young lady who gave her testimony. Actually, she graduated from college yesterday that was at the children's home. And I never will forget, she gave her testimony. She started out by saying, since being at the children's home, I've met two wonderful people, myself and Jesus Christ. And that's what our ministry is really all about. You know, it's, it's hard for me to imagine those stories that I'm telling you happen like in the course of a year. It's hard for me to imagine all the thousands of stories and all the thousands of children that have come through our doors in 137 years. You wonder how many children, how many hundreds, thousands of children have come through those doors that you've met their needs through this church and where they are today. But through your love, God's love, we do know that we've made a difference in the lives of a lot of children. I want to close with a, a little story. Um, I went to a small college up in Tennessee called Carson Newman College. Anybody ever heard of it? Jefferson City, Tennessee, near Knoxville. I had a great time. I learned a few things, too, while I was there. But there was one night we decided that um, we had this fellow in our hall. He didn't want to be a part of anything. He didn't want to be a part of us. He, he was an athlete. He went and worked out, did all of his things, came back to his room, shut the door, and that was it. Well, we kind of put up with that for about six months. And so one night, one of the guys said, I, I think, you know, if he doesn't want to be a part of us, maybe we ought to just uh, kind of lock him up in his room. That sounded like a pretty good idea. So we, we uh, knew that they were building a new music building next door to our dorm. And they were building it out of bricks. And I said, well, why don't we just brick him up in his room? That sounded like a good idea at the time. So we went over during the night next door. We borrowed a hose, a hoe, wheelbarrow, sand, bricks, mortar mix, everything you need. Waited for him to go to bed. And then we went to work. <laughs> About 35 of us out there in the hallway. Nobody speaking because we don't want to wake anybody up. And we were, it looked pretty good, actually. It had a few little waves in it, you know. So we'd already made a pact that none of us would go to class the next morning. We knew he would be getting up late because he had late classes. And we'd just see what happened. Sure enough, about 11 o'clock, you heard the door open. And the doors would open to the inside, the old metal doors, you know. And you go, it's dead silence. And then you kind of heard some rustling on the back of the wall. And then, of course, we're all out there giggling. Then he started hearing, he started patting on it like it was going to move. Didn't budge. Then he must have really got a running start from one end to the other one, because I heard that thing go, wham, and half that wall just came down. There's 35 guys on one side of this wall and him on the other. And we're all just busting out laughing. And he's like this, and then he just, biggest grin you ever saw on his face. 
He just starts laughing. I mean, it was the first time we had ever connected. We were all just having a great time. Everybody thought it was so funny. Head resident came around the corner, and he didn't think it was funny at all. <laughs> he, said, he said, boys, I want every one of you to stay right here. I'm calling the dean of men. He'll be over here within the hour. Well, I had met the dean of men on many occasions, so uh, I figured he and I would be having a really good conversation. This was his last year to be at the college. He was a really nice man, a little short man, older fella. So here he comes, and he comes in, kind of did like that, and he looked at the floor, and there's water all over the floor and sand. He looked at that wall and looked at us and walked over to the wheelbarrow, and he got a little bit of mortar mix that we had still left over in the bottom of it. And he started putting it between his fingers and his thumb. He moved around, and he said, Boys, if y'all had a little bit more sand, he'd still be in there. <laughs> That's what you and this church and hopefully I am and our staff to our children at the children's home. We're that little bit of sand that can make a big difference in their lives. You know, our kids come to us. They've hit all kinds of walls in their life. They've had all kinds of barriers put up in front of them. And at the children's home, what our mission is to do with your help is we break all of those barriers down, knock down all of those walls, and build them back up, and build them back up with the foundation of Jesus Christ. Thank you for letting me be here. I appreciate it very much. Thank you.